0: Welcome to the All Roads Podcast, where we connect antiquity to the present. We're your hosts, Dr. Sam Kindick. And Sam On. And today we're going to talk about Percy Jackson and the Sea of Monsters. Yeah. Spooky. Right? I mean, maybe not. <laughs> Monstrous. Salty. What did you think? What's your first thought?
1: Well, first of all, I think it's a really strong sequel. Um, I, I was, I was very impressed with the book because I feel like it became. I was really impressed with the book because I feel like it had a very, it became more nuanced. I mean, we we've talked about how you know a lot of these middle grade books age nicely with their audience over time. And like I think, I think this is a prime example of exactly how to do that. It raises the stakes. It raises the level of complexity. Um, I think tells a really you know interesting, compelling story, um, kind of from the get go. I think I, I really like Tyson again. You can see if you're familiar with you know, Cyclops and myth and whatnot. Um, I think you can see Tyson coming a bit away, but I thought that was a really interesting way of also complicating Percy's story. Um, yeah. And yeah, uh, you know,
0: yeah, I think I was thinking about this this morning when I was getting ready to record this, this episode that it's, it's, it's hard to remember. Well, it's not remembering because we weren't there, right? We we're we're late to these books, right? This book was written 2006. So, almost 20 years ago. And I just opened the cover of my book and there's this also by Rick Riordan um, list. And there's there are a lot of books, yeah, right? And so this is, I think, the second book that he wrote. And it's hard to sort of imagine, right? At one point, there was only the one Percy Jackson book and there wasn't this whole fleshed out world and there wasn't this whole fleshed out series. And... It, it didn't feel at all like he was sort of finding his way. Like, I feel like it all, it's, it's well done. It's yeah. well written. It feels, I think you're right. It feels more, more nuanced. And yeah, there's some things I like about this book more, I think, than the first book. I think maybe we'll talk about some of those things. The fact that it doesn't take place in, in real locations. Hmm. I think the fact that it's this, this sort of, fantastic mythologically focused world where you have these uh you know these islands and this sea of monsters and this all these these obstacles and obviously this is all you know takes place off of the coast of the u.s and in the bermuda triangle but it's not like oh we're in denver like where you know where we live or oh you know we're in St. Louis, like where I used to live. You know, that seems like right. that seems weird. Like Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. I go there all the time. Um I don't know, it, it seems less it seems less fabulous that way maybe, but maybe that's also sort of the gateway in the first book, right? That you are trying to pitch to the reader, like we talked about in the first episode. You're trying to pitch to the reader that hey, this is a real thing. Right. This could be you. Um do you live in St. Louis? Well, Maybe there's monsters who go up into the arch, right? Do you live in Denver? Well, the diners there have lots of people with lots of guns, Um, so maybe that's I don't know. Do do you see this? Do does this feel more mythological? This one, since it's removed.
1: Yeah, I I definitely think. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think also part of that has to do with you know it is plugging into an epic story in kind of a you know greater way we're going to talk a lot about a, a, a lot about Jason and the Argonauts and Odysseus and his travels right and obviously this book is playing with both of those stories and plugging us in where it is kind of a cohesive kind of journey where all of these things kind of play in together and is also kind of following this mythical precedent of like how these stories get told whereas the you know the the first book which again is a really strong book is a little bit more here are some vignettes from you know mythology this one is more like here is percy's own odyssey his own argonautica um which i think you know lends itself to you know a a more epic scale in some ways and also allows you to focus like um I think another thing I really appreciate about this book is, like, Rick Riordan does not talk down to his readers. Like, he he expects you to be smart like Percy, and, and I, I appreciate that. Like, I think he does a really good job of laying out the clues and not talking down to his his readers.
0: Yeah, I probably didn't pick up on most of them. Um. So, like, shelf shorts. Yeah.
1: You're a fully grown man.
0: <laughs> I know. I'm not, I'm not super tall though. So I'm not, you know, I'm not fully selling myself short. I sort of am, I'm, I'm sold short. Goodness. That's how I roll. Um, yeah, maybe we'll cut that. <laughs> uh, an, another, cut Another thing that occurred to me because, you know, just like in the first book, Percy and Grover, well, I guess not Grover in this book, but Percy and Annabeth um, and now Tyson are on this, this quest, right? In the first book, um, you've got Grover instead of Tyson, but they're, they're going on this quest. They have a deadline. They know where they need to go, though. They don't always have a clear sense for what that entails or ultimately where they're going to wind up in this book. Right. They know they have to rescue Grover. They know they have to get to poly Mrs. Island, but they don't know where that is. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know. I like books and the the obvious thing that comes to mind is like a like a Dan Brown book, like Angels and Demons. I like it when they lay it out and there's like a you know, a riddle you have to solve and you sort of know sort of where you're going. I don't know. I, I, I kinda of wish there was a little bit more direction. I mean things seem to happen somewhat haphazardly. I mean it all works out in the end, but does that bother you at all? Or are you No, it didn't yeah, it didn't bother me. No. You are a grown man.
1: I mean, it is very much like the stories of Odysseus. Again, we'll we'll talk more about this in, in in a later episode. But I mean, there are all sorts of like fits and starts to, you know, Odysseus's episode, and it is a bit disjointed, right? Where it's like, oh, we get going and then we stop, and and there's this obstacle, and it really throws us off, and we end up on a different place. Like, I think there's also just like a, a an adherence to that sort of of story where. Yeah, it is unpredictable, right? How exactly they're going to get from place to place, and how they end up, and there's all these sorts of changes, which again is very much how you know Odysseus experiences his travels. So I don't think it's you know outside of uh, what we would expect for an Odyssey um, in the in the Greek tradition.
0: Yeah, that's fair, and we'll talk about the Odyssey in the next episode. I think something maybe you can, I I have lots of questions about this, this world and this sort of the situation Percy's finding himself in. Sure. My my first question is, and maybe you don't have a good answer for this because you are the same place I am. Um, What happens to heroes when they get old?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. The book obviously does, hasn't given us an example of this right the book is very much concerned with we have to see if percy actually makes it to 16 first of all right this is when the prophecy could come true if the prophecy um that you know this descendant of the big three is either is going to potentially you know side or topple olympus right and you know and and i think this is also part of the complaint from um luke Two is he's also much older than all of the other campers and all of the other demigods and his complaint is you get a quest and it's just the same quest like i, I think there is this like how long do the heroes actually live and how much of it is these repetitions fighting the same old monsters rescuing the same old you know you know, MacGuffin um, in in these different stories. Like what do they do? It seems like a lot of them die pretty young and they just do the same sort of stuff that other people have done. There's also lots of references to world war two. I'm not sure exactly what the mythology there is too, but it seems likely also that, um, some of the gods' children were involved in World War II. So maybe this is where we're getting with, like, what do older heroes do? Uh, you, you know, they, they threaten to destroy the world. Um,
0: yeah, and I think that's, yeah, I, I that's a whole other can of worms that I was afraid to open. But, I mean, uh, the big three decide not to have uh, any more kids because they caused World War II. So, like, the Nazis were one of the, you know, factions that are, you know, the, the children of Zeus or something. And I don't know, fascist Italy. And I don't know that. I think yeah. that's, I don't know if, um, that mythology has been explored at all, but I mean, how old is Luke? Is he like 18?
1: I think yeah, like 17. Yeah. I think was in the first book. Cause he's um, like a, he's dear a listener. Correct me if I'm yeah, wrong. Yeah, please but... do
0: correct. Sam. Um, not good. Sam other Sam. um, cause he's a camp counselor, right? He's obviously sort of yeah. finished, you know, the student has become the teacher right. and he's, he's training and he's also, he's relatable, but I mean, what happens then? What happens to all the other kids? I mean, this camp is, is peopled by a lot of people, right? right. There's, there's all these houses and they, you know, in this book they have these chariot races and there's all this stuff going on and there's, you know, the, the, the children of Aphrodite and the children um, of all these gods that haven't really been explored. Like what, you know, when they turn 18 and they may or may not be as tempting to monsters or something like that, what happens? I mean, do they do they work at Pizza Hut? Do they go and work, you know, on Wall Street? Are there just half-bloods amongst us and their their power sort of erodes it's interesting that 16 is the magical year because it's it's closer to the age that you reach maturity in the ancient world but obviously in at least the US you know you're still a minor at at 16 18 is the, the age so I think it's interesting that it's been moved down and maybe that is to account for the age of Percy is he 12 how old is Percy
1: I mean, I think he's like 13, 14 okay. in, in this book. Because he, he has a couple of years to, to go. Um, yeah, I mean, he's a seventh grader in, in this in this second book. So he's just starting middle school. Um, depending, I guess, when, when you consider middle school starting, if it's sixth or seventh grade. Um, yeah, I mean, I, again, I think... I think a lot of this will be explored, especially as Luke gets older, the further we get into these books. Um, and I think it is kind of, I think it is the right question to ask, because again, I do think that is Luke's complaint. There's nothing really for these heroes to do anymore. Like, yeah, there there are very few quests and, you know, most of the quests aren't all that interesting. And like, maybe that is the power. What do you do with the restless heroes? heroes that don't have anything interesting to do. Um, you know, and you know Luke clearly wants a reset. He wants a restart. He wants to be in a place of power um, that he doesn't feel like he's going to have access to any other way.
0: So I think we, 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 we've come back again to that, that topic we've been circling around, which is the sort of age, generational, intergenerational angst, um, and so maybe there's something about hitting your you know becoming an adult at 16 um which must be the reason why you know when you're 16 there's going to be some um you know some the 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 half blood who is the child of the big three is going to be a weapon i think they said right. um but you you also get that this fear of like what do you do after the quest, right? You just keep doing the same old quest, and then what happens after that? And that's that's sort of parallel to what you get in in Greek mythology, right? You've got heroes who, for the most part, I mean, they're young. They do their stuff when they're young. And some heroes show up and have lives after that. But, I mean, famously, someone like Achilles, who was pretty young. I mean, probably 14, something like that, in the, in the Iliad. I mean, he couldn't have been, right? How old is he... He's he's young enough. I think he's fourteen.
1: I think he's older than fourteen.
0: But. I don't know. Maybe at the beginning of the war he's fourteen. Yeah, maybe. Maybe younger, right? Because he's young enough to hide on Skiros. But I mean, he he obviously dies young, right? And there's this line in the book where Percy says he's named after yeah. Perseus. Yeah. Did I, that did that stick out to you? as Yeah,
1: well? I I thought that that is very cool because it is true. Like most of these heroes meet
0: untimely again
1: untimely they do all these heroic things but yeah they don't live to be old and if they do i mean then you have people like oedipus and like he is not you know to be that he's to be pitied right he is no longer a great hero at the end of his life like he's lived a miserable life as one would expect with his story right really the only old heroes i think about are the old heroes in like the Iliad, people like Nestor and, and people like that who are, you know, finished their adventuring days and are still great warriors, but, you know, kind of on their way out and seen as kind of like, you know, a wise figure. But you don't have a ton of those like, you know, Heracles or, or Hercules as our listener might know him better, you know, is not, you know, some old guy hanging around you know, giving advice to younger heroes and things like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I looked into this a little bit, you know, I, I knew some things I looked into things and obviously mythic traditions change um, or are variable, but you do have this trend where, I mean, you do things when you're young, right? I mean, it makes sense that you're a hero when you're young mm-hmm. um, just like Percy and just like Annabeth and um, all of these guys, which I think is nice. I think that's another sort of connection in this, this series Achilles dies young, um, Odysseus, right, he, he gets older, but in some accounts he's killed by his own son, um, which isn't great.
1: Dies in exile. Yeah. Or, you know, in Dante, you know, he dies and is doomed to, you know, sail, sail to the end of the world, you know, acting out hubris kind of forever, yeah. like an unfulfilled hero never really reaching, like the end of his quest. Yeah. Well,
0: there's always, yeah, there's always definitely a, 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 a sort of denouement. There's always a coming down. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Aeneas, if you look in the Roman side, you know, he, he has his peak while he's young and eventually he drowns in a river, sort of <laughs> no one loves him. Uh, uh, yeah. Heracles uh, is murdered by his wife, right? He's poisoned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then he becomes a God. Um, he has an apotheosis, which is kind of cool. Theseus, you know, has a whole bunch of quests, he goes on, does all this stuff, um, at one point he's married to Medea, after Medea kills her, her first kids, um, and, you know, oh sorry, sorry, Medea is his stepmother, he's not married to Medea, um, Medea's married to his, his father, Aegeus, but Theseus goes on all these quests, but in the end, he's a he's a legendary king of Athens, and he eventually gets run out of town for political reasons and like thrown off of a cliff. Um, so that's not great. Yeah. Uh, who else? Jason, right? Jason gets the the golden fleece. We'll talk about Jason in, in a minute, but he eventually reclaims his throne for his son in Iolcus, uh, and he dies. Uh, sort of destitute uh, the boat that he invents the Argo uh, falls on him while he's asleep and kills him and Perseus Perseus does live a long life but you know how he dies? According no I don't to, know how Perseus dies he Meduses himself really? yeah he's still got the head and he's like he's old and kind of blind and it seems it, it's you know it's it's not funny but it's you know the the old gag of You know, trying to fire a a gun or something and it doesn't work. So you try to look down the barrel uh, and then you wind up shooting yourself in the face. Well, he he tries to Medusa somebody. It doesn't work. So he turns the head around to like look at it and and stones himself. He turns himself to stone. So it it comes full circle, which is nice. I mean, it's. Right. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting that Percy is however young he is. And he's worried about how he's going to die. He's worried about his mortality to a certain extent, because that's, that's in a way what defines demigods, right? They have, they have immortal parents, but they themselves are mortal. I
1: mean, I mean, I think also probably the Iliad is very instructive for this sort of like, you know, again, it's not the earliest myth that we have, in like Greek, but it is, you know, the earliest kind of surviving myth that we have from the Greek world. And that is, you know, the central question is like, right. Do you die young and be remembered forever? Or do you go home and be happy? Right. And that is kind of always the, the question. And I mean, the, the God's children are always meeting kind of terrible ends, except maybe they're monstrous ones. I guess, you know, we'll talk about Polyphemus again, but, you know polyphemus lives seemingly indefinitely, right? He's always popping back up and, you know, he's blinded, but you know, he doesn't have some sort of sorry fate that I'm aware of, but you know, again, again, uh, the Iliad obviously informs a lot of how I think about these things. But again, there are all of these God's children who are dying, you know, in that, in that Epic. And, that is to be expected right you're a great hero you go to war and what happens to great heroes all except you know Odysseus um, right you know you you die or you kind of go crazy um, or you come home and are killed anyways right you think about Agamemnon right The, the few people who survived the Trojan War like none of them turn out too great Nestor is really the only one I guess who's like comes back from the Trojan war and is just still old Um, right Agamemnon's killed by Clytemnestra Menelaus gets home after winning back Helen and he has such severe PTSD that he has to kind of be drugged for the rest of his life to like survive like again the great heroes of these epics don't live long happy lives and that's again the trade-off that's the promise right you want to be remembered you gotta die young
0: but it's also worth remembering that right in, in the iliad you know achilles by going back into the the fighting sort of he he seals his own fate right, right. he will die young um in order to avenge patroclus but then we see him again right in the odyssey um right. when this goes down and and achilles is like no <laughs> that was the wrong decision uh i'd much rather just be
1: a poor farmer yeah a poor farmhand yeah a, hire, than, a hireling yeah Rather than King of the Dead, yeah, um, I I I do love that moment. I used to talk about that with my students all the time. You know, I, I also think not to get us off too much of a tangent, but I do think it is also funny that I think there's also a little bit of a paradox within um, the epics of this question. Like you have all these moments where people are are killing these other heroes, and they say, "You will not be remembered." I'm like, it is weird because they are remembered because they are in this epic. And I, I always always wonder, like, did the Greeks see this in, in any ways as like a paradox? It's like, you have to die young to be remembered um, or you have to be this great hero. And I'm like, there are all these people who are remembered in myth who um, are told that they won't be remembered because they didn't do such and such and are kind of immortalized in these poems, which I always feel like is kind of a... Um, I, I always wondered how much the listeners of those epics saw that as a paradox. Um,
0: but I, I wonder if that is, and yeah, we shouldn't get too far afield. But I wonder if that is. I mean, just I mean, it's worth thinking about this idea of kleos, right? Right. Of this this, this eternal glory that you'll be, you know, sung about. Right. But I wonder if we are, as a society. Um, in subsequent societies, you know, after the you know, early Greeks, are they more interested in these other characters? You know, we say, "Oh, well, what about this guy? He's remembered. Well, he's get, he's remembered for you know getting his head chopped off or something." Sure. Um, for the for the the Greeks of you know the the archaic era or the the Bronze Age or whatever we see the sort of Homeric poems as a snapshot of. Is it? Yeah, some dude got his head cut off, but like no one's talking about that dude. Like no one cares. It's about you know the camera is on, the one individual. Sure. Um, I mean, you don't want to be a you don't want to be a, uh, like a uh,
1: a footnote of history. Yeah, a footnote right. or like
0: a, a what's the word I'm looking at? like an extra. Like you know you don't want to be an extra cast in the life of Achilles. You know you want to be Brad Pitt. So speaking of Brad Pitt. <laughs> no, I have no I have no segue. Yeah. Um but let's talk about another hero, right? Mm-hmm. A hero who pops up in this book, in Sea of Monsters. Um his name is mentioned a few times. His quest shows up, sort of, right? And that's Jason. Right. Um and Jason is Jason is for me a weak hero. I don't know. Do you have Do you have like initial?
1: I mean, that's what always people will talk about. Is he is not? Um, he's kind of the least heroic person on the Argo. Um, again, imagine you you have a ship with Heracles, Hercules on the crew, and he's not the captain. Um, it it is always kind of this thing where. Yeah, what is Jason's great credit is, you know, he's very attractive, is like kind of his claim to fame, kind of more than anything else. And again, I guess this is more kind of Apollonius's imagining of Jason. So a much later, you know, interpretation of this um, myth. Um, but yeah, it, yeah, Jason. You know, when I've talked to students about Jason, I don't think people particularly like Jason. They don't like the decisions he makes. They don't think he's particularly interesting as a hero. Um, And, yeah, I I kind of agree. I find him far less compelling than most of the other heroes of myth.
0: Um, Yeah, so he is an interesting – if we sort of back up and look at Jason and sort of maybe sketch out his his story – Right, he's less. I don't know. He seems like less of a hero. It, you know, he he's, he's heroic in different ways. Um, you know, the story is that Jason's father, um, Ison, was the king of this place called Gilcas, and of course he had a you know sinister, power hungry half brother, um, and this guy King Peleus, or at the time not King (laughs) Peleus decided that, wow, King Peleus sounds like a much better name than not King Peleus. So he seizes power and he does, you know, one of the most important things that you can do when you seize power, which is kill the, all the relatives of everybody who had been in power, but he messes up. He doesn't kill Jason. And the reasons for that is unclear. Sometimes he doesn't even kill Ison, but, uh, you know, Jason's birth is concealed in some way. And he's sent off to be raised by Chiron. Um, he's one of the guys who, you know, the heroes, just mm-hmm. like Achilles and Percy Jackson and Harry Potter, who are educated by Chiron. And so he, he's away. And Pelias, you know, trying to figure out what to do. He does what everyone does. He, he goes he goes to the Oracle. And he gets this weird, this weird prophecy, right? Do you know the prophecy?
1: Yeah, beware of the man with one
0: sandal. Yeah, beware of <laughs> the man with one sandal. And so... I don't know why anyone bothers going to the Del- to the Oracle at Delphi because it's you get this like very confusing thing that it's impossible to interpret.
1: Right. And, of course, you can't ever avoid your fate. Right. And you you just, can't change it. And you just trick yourself into making your fate extra bad. <laughs> or, I mean, it always plays out the way it was always going to. But you always kind of end up bringing it about in some I
0: sort. guess in this case, though, it does give Peleus kind of a heads up. Sure. Because when Jason is older, he's trained... You know, he's, he received all his OWLs or whatever. And he decides to go home and, you know, encounter, confront Peleus. Uh, but he's he's kind of a nice guy, I guess. He's he's helping this old woman cross this river. The old woman's really Hera in disguise. But there's like this sucking mud in it. And he, so he loses his sandal. Mm-hmm. Um, and you probably know the kind of mud I'm talking about where it's like, it's like sticky. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. you know, yeah, his sandal comes off and he's just like, I'll buy another one. Like, <laughs> not even worth it, right? So he shows up and he's got one sandal, and Peleus is like, "Oh snap! There's a guy with one sandal." So he gets a heads up. So the the prophecy maybe helps him out there. But I think I mean the, I mean this is my imagining of how this encounter goes. But I think it's pretty good. You know, he he goes up and he's like, "Oh, Jason." <laughs> My man, like, what is, what is going on? And Jason's like, you killed my entire family, and I'm the rightful King. And Peleus is like, what? I've got a question, Jason. Uh, if, you, if, you want, if you had to kill somebody without, like, you know, killing somebody, how would you do it? And Jason was like, obviously, it's super easy. I would just tell them to go get the Golden Fleece. And Pilly says, "Like Jason, 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 I need you to go get the golden fleece." Mm-hmm. And Jason's like, "Snap!" Um, and he doesn't know how to do it, right? I mean, he's right. Um, he 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 doesn't. He his father isn't a god. His mother isn't a god. Um, he doesn't have special powers. He's not really fast. He doesn't even have two shoes. Like what? So he like. He's got to get a crew, which is weird. This is new, right? This isn't like, mm-hmm. this doesn't happen in other myths. And if you look at a map, right, you'll at the sort of, uh, Northeastern Greece and the black fleece is in, or the, the, the gold fleece is in, uh, Colchis, right. Mm-hmm. On the black sea. And of course the, the golden fleece as, as is sort of summarized accurate ish in the, the, the book, the sea of monsters, it it like was this actual sheep who by the way d- d- the father of the Golden Fleece is Poseidon. <laughs> Poseidon is the father of everybody in Greek mythology. Apparently. Um yeah. but yeah, this this so the sheep like rest it flies. Um and it rescues these two kids except for the girl falls off halfway halfway yeah. Yeah. on the way.
1: Hella, right? Yeah. Hella, can- yep. Becomes the hell of spawn exactly. where, where she falls. So she got, death.
0: I mean, she got clay We remember her. Yeah. Um, but then when it gets the Colchis, then the kid gets off. Phrixus is his name. Um, but then they kill a sheep, yeah. uh, and, you know,
1: and hang up. Yeah. Hang and just put the them place. on a tree, yeah.
0: which is, I mean, so talk about, you know, our Cyclops is the same as humans. Like his, you know, the golden, the golden fleece, the golden Ram is still the son of Poseidon. They just kill him. So that's interesting. But Jason's got to get to Colchis. Yeah. And it's a super far walk. Yeah. If
1: only someone had invented boats.
0: Oh wait. He does invent the boat. Well, at least he has the first boat.
1: Yeah, the Argo, the first boat, which again, I always think of the opening lines to the Eur- the Euripides play the Med- the Medea, right? Um again, wife of Jason who we'll meet who you meet in the Argonautica. Yeah you know tragic you know I mean it's a tragedy famously uh, but you know the opening lines are like would that would that the Argo was still a tree um, and man had never sailed the ocean and it's like oh man it is such a such a memorable opening to that to that play
0: um, in a literally important one yeah. right with the beginning of, of Ennius's Medea Exol and then even Catullus in, in six, mm-hmm. poem 64 um, So it's a great opening, right? But and it's it's a cool way of thinking about myth, right? Not just boy, I wish Jason hadn't got this like golden fleece. But I wish I wish boats didn't even exist. Yeah, I wish that first boat was still a tree,
1: right? Which is I don't know. It feels so real, right? We're like we're not thinking about boats, but you're like. Maybe the internet was a mistake, right? You know, there are those moments where you're like, maybe we created technology that is going to doom us. Yeah. Um. And and there is that anxiety even in antiquity. It's yeah. like maybe this actually made our lives worse, in like very meaningful big ways. That's a
0: great. I like that idea because the Greeks and I think you see it even more with the Romans. They have this idea that boats are bad because there's only two things you you can do with a boat. Right, you can go to war, as demonstrated by Troy, um, or you could get into you know sort of become a merchant, have commerce, and that means you're you're greedy and bad. Um, and so I think this connects back to that idea of like a golden age, right? Mm-hmm. When yeah. you didn't have to travel, you right. didn't have to go to war, you didn't have to work for a living, right? right. Um, everything you needed is right here. You don't need shipping, um, which is important in the Mediterranean world.
1: And the Greeks, which is always funny. Greeks are very famous for their boats. For sailing? And, well, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of islands.
0: <laughs> they got a lot of islands. They got, they got good cause. Um, but you know, that
1: tells you a lot. If even the Greeks are like, maybe boats were a bad idea, but that there is, yeah, this like, there is this longing for a simpler way of life. And that, yeah, there was always a simpler time before. Like we think, oh, people had it so easy back then. And the people back then were also like, Before us, they had a lot easier, too. Um, And there is this kind of idealization of some sort of mythic past that never really existed, right? There was never a time where people just had it easy.
0: Maybe. Do you think Luke and Kronos are trying to just destroy the Internet? That's like the, the promised Golden Age?
1: Well, you know, I think if you think of Golden Age as like Again, I think I said this in a previous episode, but like, you know, the state of nature as Thomas Hobbes envisioned it, right? We don't have civilization. You know, it's a dog-eat-dog world. It's a human-eat-human world out there. Um, like, the Golden Age is that, but it imagines, actually, what if things were like chill and fine and everyone was fully fed? And they're like, no, actually, it would be very brutal, and the people who would survive would be the fittest and the strongest and those would be the demigods. And so maybe in some ways, Luke has a more realistic vision of what the golden age would have actually been like, as opposed to this kind of ideal. It's like, no, if we get rid of civilization as we know it, it reverts to this state of nature. Again, a thing that also never existed, but um, feels more easy to imagine perhaps for some.
0: It's interesting though, because we do, I mean, we see this, Sarcophagus, right? That has mm-hmm. Kronos in it. This golden sarcophagus, um, and it has these, these 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 scenes of destruction and fire and stuff. And so, the it's exactly what you just said. Where this there's, there's this idea of sort of if we burn it all down, I mean, the hope I think is that when it's it's reconstructed, it'll be better. Um, and we even get a little bit of that with, with Annabeth, right? With this idea yeah. of sort of rebuilding society from you know, from an architectural point of view, rebuilding right. Manhattan, which I think is interesting because that's her vision, is not out of sync with, with Luke. And she obviously has a connection with Luke. Right. Um That's
1: her fatal flaw.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She has a weakness for the the tall boys, the old boys. Um but that's not that, that idea of a golden age is not at all how the Greeks and Romans thought of it. Right? When we have discussions of golden ages, for example, under Augustus, it's not let's burn everything down. It's sort of, I mean it, it, sh- it obviously shows up in low moments where everyone's feeling a little bumped out.. Sure. But I don't think there's this idea of tearing things down to start over. There's this you idea know. that it's more of a, um, a, a you sort of culminate in a, in a golden age, rebuild up to it rather than sort of destroying and starting over.
1: Right. I mean, that's like the Roman conception. Yeah. Right. And again, there is this like temptation, I think for us as modern readers to see this as cyclical, like we're going to go back to a golden age and then it's going to decline and then it'll go up again. Right. And that's not really how the ancients. Thought. I mean, for the Greeks, it's like the golden age is in the past. Like we don't go back to that. Um, like we, you know, it happened one time and things have just gotten progressively worse. Um. And again, there isn't like, what if we destroyed society and started over? You're right. Um, But again, I, I do think there are in some ways these kind of like, not competing visions of the golden age, but again, Polyphemus, who is obviously central to this book. I mean, his life, his island in the Odyssey is very much an embodiment of the golden age, right? An island that is kind of, eternally abundant there are ample you know goats and sheep you know and you know you live off of cheese there's an obsession with cheese in the golden age um just because it's the kind of pastoral way of living what's what's the immediate thing that you know what is the immediate food stuff that you can consume as a shepherd well it's like very simple farmer's cheese essentially right um and so there is in some ways where it is like oh polyphemus is an embodiment of the golden age and also kind of this barbarism that can accompany it so i I think there is like a vision of the golden age where it's like everybody's just having a great time and also a golden age where like there's lots of abundance but there isn't this civilization that binds us together um and like that leads to this kind of barbarism and this kind of un-greek way of living
0: yeah yeah there's a lot there there's a lot to unpack um I'm gonna pun some of that to the next episode yeah when, please. when we talk about the odyssey um but I think you're right I think it's, it's interesting if you put yourself in the sort of the 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 sandals of the monsters a lot of these monsters have their own sort of idyllic microcosms right. that are sort of disrupted by heroes. Or demigods. That's interesting. Um, but I want I I to return to to the the, the golden fleece and to Jason because it occurs to me. I mean, we're talking about the Argo, which is the first boat ever. Um, and Jason needs the help of a crew. And you mentioned, you know, Heracles, <clears throat> Hercules, and the famous story. Right, is that he gets everyone together. Uh, he gets all the Argonauts, and Apollonius lists them all. Um, some of these guys we never hear from again. But, you know, then he's like, well, you know, I, I called everybody here and just sort of, let's, I mean, we should just vote and have a, you know, officially pick the captain. And everyone says, you know, he's like on the count of three, one, two, three, Jason. And then he says one, two, three, and everyone says Hercules. Mm-hmm. And Hercules is like, give it to the kid, you yeah. know, let him have it. Um, So he, that that's why he's underwhelming. Again, this is an Apollonius right. and for various reasons Apollonius is rejecting Homeric versions of, of uh, heroicness. Right. But, um, but Jason needs a crew. And so does Percy. Percy doesn't go on quests by himself. Um, And so I think Jason's actually a nice parallel because we see like Clarice, Clarice goes off by herself, right? She can't even convince her, her other friends um, the other children of Ares to go with her, right, and she goes alone, and it turns out she needs help, right and the prophecy right. says that she needs um you know help because she'll fail without friends
1: right
0: and so there's there's a nice parallel there. I mean, Odysseus sure. also has a crew, but his whole crew dies,
1: yeah, his crew is not <laughs> not the brightest uh not the not not the sh- sharpest knives in the drawer, um not the you know brightest bulb.
0: Um, They're just hungry. They eat the cattle true. of the sun, and they they pay for it. But we get this golden fleece, and we have this quest. And the golden fleece is important because it, it we need to like heal Thalia's tree, right? Um, which is not a power associated with it in the right. in the Greek myths. Um, it's just sort of a a trophy that you've done a quest. Mm-hmm. But Jason always needs help. Right, Jason needs help from Medea. Jason needs help from the Argonauts. Jason, even when he reclaims his throne in Iolcus he needs help. Um, I
1: mean, he even needs help getting Medea's help. Yeah, <laughs> right. He, I mean, it's not like you know he, you know, he needs you know this you know kind of you know ancient witch's power, and the only reason he gets it is because the gods intervene on his behalf and you know make her madly in love with him.
0: Yeah, there's another great. I mean, I, we keep going back to Apollonius, right? Apollonius of Rhodes, who's writing in the third century BCE in Alexandria, and he writes this four book um, epic poem about Jason called the Argonautica, and that's our best account of the the, the story of Jason, but it is written much later than, mm-hmm. um, definitely much later than Homer, later than Euripides' tragedy about Jason and Medea, the Medea. But there's just these great moments you you may remember when right Af- uh, Hera I think goes and, and asks Aphrodite to make Medea fall in love with Jason and then Aphrodite needs to go and ask Cupid right because mm-hmm. he's the guy he's Heros. the actual yeah. the actual mechanism um, you know he's gotta shoot somebody. Uh, to make them fall in love. And so she, she goes into his room. I think it's his room. Do you remember the scene?
1: Yeah. and uh-huh.
0: he, He's like, she catches him cheating. He's like playing <laughs> dice and he's cheating. Yeah. Um, and she's like, I need you to go do a thing for me. And he's like, mom, get out of my room. Like, <laughs> And it's just, I know it's funny. There's yeah, Greek literature is amazing. Yeah. These like little moments of, you know, humor, these moments of, relatable humanity even in the gods. Yeah. Cuz if you read Hesiod, and we've talked a lot about Hesiod,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I think there's less relatable humanity.
1: Yeah, definitely. I I agree with that. As someone who who loves Hesiod, you don't yeah, you don't have these kind of beautiful moments between the gods <laughs> and whatnot. There's a lot of interesting stuff happening there, but it is less the personality of the gods that yeah. you find interesting and hesiod.
0: So another example of just sort of the way that myth changes and the way mm. that even within, you know, Greek air quote culture, um different people in different places at different times saw saw myth and saw gods differently.
1: And I think there's also just like this kind of cross pollination or even more just like assimilation and creation of these myths. It's just like the further and further you go out, right? I think, you know, there's always this question when you talk to people, it's like, okay, why do the Greeks and Romans have the same gods? And you're like, well, they don't really. It's like these same gods get mapped onto other kind of deities of the region. And it just becomes this kind of amalgam of, all of these hyper local gods being like, well, we kind of have something similar to that. That must also be Zeus. And you just kind of get this kind of like cobbled together where it's like Zeus is all of these different things. And like, what are the interesting things that come out of the fact that it's actually 500 different visions of this kind of like sky God that are like cobbled together. And what are the sort of interesting ideas that come out of that? As opposed to like, there's this one pure, right there is no you know Catholic there's no yeah there's no Hebrew Bible for the Greeks right the closest thing you get is Homer and even Homer is malleable yeah right and so like yeah there isn't this kind of like canonical version until you get very very late in Greek history with the Hellenistic scholars who try and make sense of the mess that's happened over hundreds of years and say okay what's the real version you know,
0: they, they, But there's still not the force of canon, right? right? I mean, they're trying to just sort stuff out. Right. I mean, religion is hard. Right. I mean, ancient religion, there's, just, there's A, so much we don't know because right. there's so much we don't have. But I think that's something people don't fully appreciate, right? I mean, just as you said, religion is extremely localized, right? And so if, we, if you and me are in the same city and we're both priests of Apollo, we worship different gods. And we have no... You know, we don't have a conference in Vegas every year um, to make sure we're on the same page, which is what, you know, jumping way ahead, right? Which makes Christianity so interesting. Right. Um, Because it's Catholic, and Catholic means universal.
1: Right. Like, the closest thing you get to that maybe is, like, Delphi and, like, the, you know, the Pythia and, like, you know, the the worship of Apollo there. Like, there's some authority around Apollo there, but it isn't centralized at all. It's just kind of like that's the Apollo place, but also there are Apollo places all over yeah. the world.
0: And Roman religion is hard too. I mean, I, I'm I know we're focusing on Percy Jackson and the Olympians, but there's this whole other per, like uh, series, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Rick Riordan series about. I think it's about Apollo. It's 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 a Roman thing. Um, I'm curious about that. Um, we you need know, we we need to read the, these books first. But I'm curious, because Roman religion is so complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's only, I mean, the study of Roman religion is only about 50 years old, which is mind-blowing. I mean, because we're talking about something that was 2,000 years ago. For, you know, 1,950 of those years, people were like, yeah, it's just Greek religion, but they changed the names. Right. And it turns out that's not the case. Right. Um, so, yeah.
1: And, you know, to bring it back to Percy Jackson, I do think it is interesting because we talked again how the Greeks and Romans don't have this kind of like interpersonal relationship with their gods that we oftentimes assume because of, you know, the proximity to Christianity that so much of us have like being in, you know, we're based in the United States, right? Um, But I I do think it is interesting in Percy Jackson because there is kind of that impersonation impersonal, kind of distant, kind of quid pro quo relationship, a bit happening there. I mean, you see that in this book with Clarice and Aries, right? You have to do this for me. You cannot fail, right? You know, she's his daughter and their relationship is do this for me and I will respect you, love you, which is like kind of at a very basic level how religion operated for the Greeks and Romans and again, kind of a macro scale. Um, At least when we think about the Olympians.
0: Yeah. But you also, I think you get a different, a different side when we see Hermes. Yeah. Right. Especially at the end and and Percy's talking to him and Percy just wants to be celebrated by his father and Hermes just wants to get back in touch with his son, with Luke. Um, And so I think, you know, it's, it's equally, this quid pro quo religious give and take, but there's definitely also, you know, obviously parental issues Mm -hmm. going on, but I think, and maybe this is a good place to stop um, for this, this conversation, but that, that notion that you brought up before of the importance of the Iliad, right? When, when Hermes says, um, you know, trust me, Percy, we, we, we want to help more than we, we can. So we have to be sneaky about it and indirect. Um, you know, for me that always goes back to, to Zeus and Sarpedon Mm -hmm. in Iliad 16 where Zeus, son is dying and Zeus wants to help him. But it, uh, is it Hera? I mean, someone says to him, basically, listen, like that's, such a bad precedent. You got to let your kids go.
1: And and you you do see that a couple of other times in the Iliad, like I think of like Aphrodite and like Aeneas mm-hmm. is a classic example where you know about to die gets whisked away, and it's kind of like cheating. You know? Yeah, you're not really supposed to do that. It works out for the Romans pretty nicely to have Aeneas not get killed on the battlefield of Troy. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. They would have a totally different origin story. Um, but yeah, I think that's I think that's absolutely right. Um, well. I'm excited to, to dive into the Odyssey in our next episode uh, with you, our dear listener. But if you've enjoyed this podcast, why don't you leave us a review? Why don't you send us an email at allroadspod at gmail.com? Um, subscribe, tell your friends, and let us know if we got anything wrong. What would you what you would love to hear us talk about next. And until next time, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.